312, 315, and 330. And they mm-hmm. went with our offer at 300. So I don't. I think the other ones were too, but I think, I think it was I, like one of those like sketchy realtors that just was like, I'd rather do business with you guys because you're close to. Yeah. You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area, local investors, Local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. Hey, welcome back to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I am an associate broker with Arla at Properties. And I am, and we're sharing a microphone today, so it's going to take a second. I'm Sarah. I'm a realtor. That's how you pronounce it anyway, to sound cool. Maryland and DC are lab properties on the same team as Russell. So we work mostly with investors and happy to have some friends on this week that are flippers, wholesalers, short-term rental Airbnb <laughs> hosts now. So we have Wesley and Daniel here to talk about their HK equity group property. What is up? What is all up? that stuff? Yeah. So guys, if you just want to tell us a little bit about yourselves and get into it. Um, my name is Wesley. Um, Wesley Nightstep. Uh, HK Equity Group. Um, yeah, we we basically just kind of cover every base real estate wise. Uh, started off just primarily flipping, and then uh, got into wholesaling, and then now we're into short term rentals and have a small little portfolio in Baltimore. Um, but yeah, it's kind of blossomed into something a little bit more. Yeah, I'm Daniel Hood, uh, HK Equity Group. Um, similar things you just said, right? Uh, some short term rentals are just picked up. Lots of flips, lots of wholesaling now, um, dialing in systems currently to uh, grow the wholesaling side of the business. Yeah. Very cool. So uh, what got you guys started in the business? Was it the flipping? Yeah. So um, I was con- I was a carpenter by trade and then got into construction management for like a bigger builder, uh, built like some of their biggest communities and then uh, wanted to get into some investment stuff knowing that I wasn't the guy making the money. I was kind of the pawn making everybody the money. And then... Uh, Learned about Daniel. He f- was flipping a house at like 17 years old or something. So uh, I knew he knew kind of the underwriting aspect and I brought the construction knowledge. So kind of teamed up and haven't got rid of him since. So what year, uh, so you, how old are you now, Daniel? I'm 20, just turned 23. Okay. So you've been flipping about six years? Roughly, yeah. yeah. Well, so 17, how do you, how do you yeah. get into it at 17? Yeah. So I started out my, uh, my mom's in real estate. So she worked at a brokerage, Keller Williams. And, uh, there was a guy there who was investing and she kind of connected me with him. Um, he was like, at the time he was like, you're a little too young to like really do anything for me. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll just keep following up. Um, eventually ended up on his, ended up cold calling for him. Uh, from there ended up leading a cold calling team of like 10 people and kind of exchange for that. Like the pay was, I'd get like a little commission on some deals. Um, but I'd also get coaching what I think it was like weekly or biweekly. Um, and while I was doing that coaching, I bought the first house and then from there just kind of steamrolled and kept taking the knowledge and experience I was getting while doing the flips and which, which kid have you was it? a flagship? Yeah. I was wondering, was it John, um, who'd you work for? The- I work for Brenton. Brenton oh, Brenton has. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Full circle moment. Yeah. Yeah. We just, uh, Brenton just spoke at our meetup last week. Oh, okay. Cool. 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 Haven't had him on the podcast. We need to, maybe yeah. we'll have you guys speak at the, our next meetup. So we'll make it a habit of like doing podcasts, then meetup. <laughs> yeah. We're just not really Good organized. Idea. So, <laughs> but you guys are. So I wanted to talk Try. about your systems that you guys use. You've scaled a lot. Um, at least it seems like you have in the last couple of years. Um, just from listening to you guys on um, Ryan and Nick's podcast too. So just tell us a little bit about what you do that helps you scale and then the systems you put in place. Yeah. So last year we probably spent six figures in mentorships, um, trying to get everything dialed in. Um, we have probably, I mean, we have probably the most badass system I think you could have like wholesaling wise just for like follow up and just for keeping everything organized. Um, and then we just implemented a new sales process, uh, this year compared to last year. And we're seeing a big ROI on that. Um, and we're bringing in some guys, uh, actually getting a new office to grow. So our, our goal is to keep it very, very thin, keep the fat, uh, trimmed off the business, but still have high margins. And, uh, we're seeing right now. So Q1, probably 
85% of it would ho- was wholesale deals, which is completely reversed from what we did in 22. Um, and we're seeing a revenue about, it was like $710,000 in profit first quarter. Wow. Very nice. That's awesome. So you said mentorship. So you guys feel like there's a good ROI on those. How 100%. do you find the ones that work? Uh, there's a lot of vetting I think you need to do. You need to look for who's doing what you want to do. Um, I think you also need to kind of take that with a grain of salt and dive deeper into what they're really doing and make sure they're actually doing it. Cause you see a lot of these people like, Oh, we're doing hundred thousand dollars a month. And then you're like, okay, can I see some HUDs or can I see this? And it's like, well, oh, don't worry about that. I'm doing a hundred thousand a month and they play it off. You know, I just really need to make sure that they're doing what they say they're doing. Um, you also need to make sure you connect well with them because I mean, we've had mentors in the past where it, it, wasn't like a good fit. And we kind of realized that really early in um, and went our separate ways. Like we still like the person it's, we're cool with them. It just wasn't the right fit. So finding the right fit and making sure they're doing what they say they're doing. Yeah. We learned there's a lot of different offenses uh, to this industry. So finding the one that just kind of works for y'all or whoever um, is kind of key. So kind of finding somebody that fits the culture that you want to see develop. And then we kind of just went out all in with those those mentors. So what's tell us one of the like top things you've learned from the mentor that you've been able to implement. So I mean, I would say we're full time with HK um, just for twelve months, uh, going on probably actually about fourteen months now. Um, but just systems and processes. I mean, once you build that foundation, you can kind of grow and blossom off that. Uh, you'd be surprised on like how many uh, acquisitions managers or sales or whatever that doesn't have your consistent follow-up so you're losing a lot of money um and then we also we we strive really heavy on like rapport building so we actually have like traditional sales tactics that we utilize in order to buy houses off market um and we see like that rapport building allows us to have our foot more in the door than other competitors i would call it in our area um so just like small things that we do outside the box that we don't see people doing in the dmv like what's an example of one of those small things? Um, just like, so a lot of times people are just trying to, you know, pre-qualify somebody to see if their motivation is there or if the price point's not there, then they're just not even making an offer because they just assume that it doesn't work. I mean, majority of our deals, I say we probably price drop somebody anywhere from 15 to $25,000. Um, and we just do that based off other value that we bring other than dollars. So whether it's helping them move out or dive deep into the situation to try to figure out a cure. Cause I mean, we see a lot of people that everybody assumes everybody knows about real estate. Well, majority of the people we call know nothing about real estate. Mm-hmm. So once we're able to educate them and then build that trust factor, um, stuff starts making more sense to them. Very cool. So you mentioned follow-up um, in almost any sales-based business. Follow-up's a key aspect of converting a lead to a right transaction or client or sale, whatever your business is. Uh, do you know how many times you're typical? You're typically touching on a follow-up um, before you convert? Yeah. So um, the leads right now, I'd actually be surprised. Like, so I actually did the other day. I mean, we probably had 50% of our leads, we only had about eight to t- 12 minutes of talk time before signing a purchase agreement. Um, that just shows like how our sales process is, but it also shows that we're not diving deep enough to where we could probably get more value from that property. Um, but then usually we'll see uh, probably, he, Daniel could probably touch on it more because he runs all of our metrics, but we're probably seeing a six month ROI return on like new campaigns and leads that come into our system. Yeah, and I would just say it definitely depends on what type of lead source you're coming from as far as touches, right? Like if you get a PPC lead, which is pay-per-click, um, 99% of the time they're way more motivated. They're going online, they're submitting, hey, I, I want to sell my house. So usually you're trying to either one call close, maybe two calls. Um, with SMS, it could be a lot less hot. Uh, we could be touching them anywhere from eight to 10 times, calls eight to 10 times, and I might not necessarily be talking with them. That's just a call to them. Yeah. Um, very similar with cold calling anywhere from like six to 10, six to eight times. Um, but yeah, on the, on the hotter, uh, sources, you, you're touching them a lot less. So is the PPC, the more hot sources for you guys? Yeah. I mean, your hot sources would be like your inbound leads, right? Like you, we don't do this, but you have commercials, you have radio, you've got PPC, um, SEO. Those are your inbound leads are typically your hottest leads. And, uh, oftentimes they're touched a lot less than, cause I mean, you figure, right. If you're calling in from a TV ad you're probably calling everyone else and you're probably submitting on everyone else's websites so the idea is to get that done like right away right away before they touch express home buyers exactly market pro home and then you're competing with everybody oh yeah when they're filling out your form online they're probably filling out 15 other ones so 
Yeah, we've talked a lot in the podcast about the difference between inbound and outbound marketing. You, mm-hmm. you very clearly like described it there. Like the inbound, you're talking to them two or three times. The outbound marketing, you're talking to someone 15, 20, 30 times yeah. before or touching them that many times before they convert. And that's the great thing with the outbound, right? Is you usually don't have a lot of competition that is doing that. So mm-hmm. after those first few times, they're kind of giving up on it, whereas we're hammering them. Day you, in and day out. We are you guys doing any direct mail or anything? Currently, no, we're okay. not. Because uh, yeah, yeah it, Brenton was telling us last week that he's. I think he spends five to six thousand a month on mm-hmm. um, direct direct mail marketing, but it's been a good source for him. Yeah, it's a very predictable yeah. uh, source, but like you said, it's a lot of money. Um, not that we don't want to spend it, we just haven't really dived into it yet because we haven't needed to. Yeah. So, how many deals you guys got? In the going on currently, because I think Sarah told me last uh, week or two back, like, I guess had like 20 or 30 flips going on right now. So not flips, probably deals like in our pipeline as far as wholesaling and flipping and rentals and everything. Um, I honestly, I don't have an exact number. I know I just told her we did 39 contracts first quarter. Um, Right now we probably have, I think it's 13 deals that are ready to be that we have put under contract, they might not necessarily be ready to assign because like a lot in Baltimore City, right? We got to wait for lien certs to make sure. I mean, if we have a killing us contract at 50,000 and they have some crazy lien, like there's no point in wasting our time to dispo it. So I would say we have about 13 and for under a contract for assignments and shoot, I think we have like six or seven under construction. Yeah. Uh, about, I think we have, we just put, are we just... Or on the sales side, three under contract um, to sell, and then two under contract to buy, which was those Ocean City ones we were talking about earlier. We just put those under contract yesterday. So when you get the lead that comes in, how do you, what's your metric for deciding whether you're going to wholesale it or you're going to keep it and flip it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a lot of times it's a conversation between Wes and I, um, but also a lot of times it's we're pushing out everything we can to see how much of an assignment fee we can get. If we're going to make, if we're projecting, we're going to make $30,000 on a flip, for instance, right? If we can make 20 grand on assignment because somebody might own a construction company that's our buyer and they cut costs there or they're bringing all their own cash so they don't have financing costs. Um, a lot of times we can make a fee like that where we're assigning it all day and just trying to get more on, on deck opposed to time. And removing time. the risk of the flip. And 100%. We're seeing a fine line right now too because 2022, I mean, I think like 98% of what we did was all flips. Well, that's like a roller coaster of money coming in and money going out. So there was times when Daniel and I look at each other like, this is, this, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of touched back on your one earlier where you're like, what have you guys learned from mentorship as well? That's big. It's like making sure you have clean financials and like, you know, what's actually coming in and coming out every week. I mean, shit, I'm looking every day, honestly. Um, Cause if you don't have your financial straight, like you think you're making all this money, but you're really, you're really not. That's what we tell like people who want to be first time flippers. They're like, what's a good rule of thumb? Can I use 70% rule? Like all these things were like, no, <laughs> no, you can't. There's no rule of thumb. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. no. But you have guys, are you guys your own in-house contractor? Or are you working with separate contractors? Yeah, we have an in-house contractor. Um, I run construction and acquisition. So with the construction, we kind of, instead of going that typical route of just using a general contractor that a lot of other flippers use, we want to make sure that, you know, we can rely on somebody as much as they need to rely on us. So our guy relies on us solely for our volume and we rely on him obviously to get the work done. Um, it's very unique. Uh, we don't visit properties, um, out of all the contracts that we have, we don't go on appointments. So kind of back to like the mailers, like a lot of time a mailer would, the next step would be an in-house appointment with them. And we just, it's hard to scale something like that. Cause we would like to go to other markets where we're not going to be present. So if we can figure that out in our own backyard, then it's going to work in the next 10 different locations. Um, but like primary flipping wise, like the guy, he's like really good at his one trade. Uh, we saw the ability to kind of teach him how to become a general contractor and he wanted to do that. And that's kind of what, where my background was for construction management. So implementing some systems and processes for him. And then now we got 17 guys, um, that just work for us. So it gets a little sketchy. Uh, good thing is they're not W2. So, I mean, if work did dry up, it's not like, you know, now we got to lay people off, but we still, it still feels like that. Yeah. We don't cut that. It's not coming from like, it's not a salary from us. So at the end yeah, of the day, you know, if the project's going on, they're not eating. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, well we do, we do try and keep yeah. them busy to keep them. I mean, we get that leverage, obviously, if we have 17 guys that work solely for us. And that probably plays a bar- part, I imagine, too, into your metric of whether to wholesale or flip it, right? So if you, 100%. If you start going low on the flips and you're like, I get, you got to keep the guys working. Yeah. Um, that probably 
makes you like art. Maybe we'll keep this one and flip it. And we almost got too systemized to where it's moving so quickly that you're like always having to like replenish that pipeline of like flips to keep them busy. So like they're running through a house in 20 something days. You're like, okay, now I got to at least have five, six houses just ready to go for them. Because if not, it's going to, we're going to hit a dry spell here very soon. So let's talk about like a typical flip. Where, where are most of you guys flips taking place at? They're a little like all over the place. Everyone always asks us. So we, we, our basic metric basically is 45 minute radius of Odenton, which is where our office is. Okay. And we'll stretch on that if it's the right deal. Um, so I mean, we flip PG County, Howard County, and Ronald County, Baltimore County, a couple in the city, um, Harford County. It's, it's Montgomery County. It's been everywhere. PG um, County has been hot for us right now. Yeah. Recently, we really do like PG County a lot. Yeah. I mean, PG County is, um, typically a hotbed for flipping. The margins exist there. You exactly. Don't have the pain in the ass that Baltimore City is. Yeah. That's True. why we don't do much in Baltimore City. I also think a lot of people are getting priced out of DC, so it's like forcing them to go to the outskirts. I think yeah. um, a common theme I find with full-time flippers as opposed to the people doing one or two office, people like to avoid Baltimore City. Yeah, uh, 100%. It's just a headache. Well, and it's just so dense now in the good areas where you can actually have a spread of 100, 200,000. Yeah. It's getting trucks in and out alone is pain. Then if you look at like our, our product, like if you, if you go on our Facebook, all our products, this is the exact same. You could probably look at it and be like, okay, that's a HK house. Like we did that. If you go in Baltimore city, like they do these extremely elaborate renovations with tray ceilings and fireplace, like four fireplaces in the house. And like, that's just not our product, huh. especially not to sell it for $225,000. It's like a, it's an appraisal scare too. Cause block by block changes a hundred thousand dollar ARV. And then that's probably why they're yeah. putting four and five fireplaces in a house. So they try to drive that just to make sure they're getting a Yeah, and just the difference between what it's going to appraise at with with coffered ceiling versus without exactly it's going to make it doesn't matter when your neighbor's boarded up though yeah Yeah. (laughs) go on Google Maps and you're like oh but like yeah you could literally right you can be in Highland Town and go a few blocks south to Canton we're talking about a hundred thousand dollar difference in price Mm -hmm. or more um well like my the place across from me (laughs) this old lady moved out I'm on Curly Street in Canton like straight down the middle. This old lady moved out. She's been in there since the 80s. You know, the house needed something. She sold it to some flippers. They probably paid her 200 for it. They're trying to list it for 520 She's probably yeah. in our system. Probably. <laughs> yeah, we probably missed that one. What's probably. her name? We probably missed that one. Thousand square feet. They're trying to sell it for 520 I'm like, yeah, that's maybe, wild. Maybe 400 I mean, it's got the roof deck and the patio. And it's like a chap credit, I think. But yeah, it's just not our game. Honestly. So what would you say your typical acquisition cost is? And right, I know properties were all over this place, but what's sort of your typical acquisition costs, exit costs, and rehab costs? Sure, yeah. So typical acquisition, like, I mean, you said, it, it, obviously PG County is a little bit different than Baltimore County. Right. Um, I would say roughly anywhere from 200 to 300 is acquisition, a good range between Baltimore County and Ronald County and PG. kind of gets more expensive as you go south. Um, construction, I would say is anywhere from, depending on what the scope of work is, but 45 to 85, we don't like to do those huge renovations, um, just because it takes a lot of time, takes a lot more money, a lot more risk. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. And then ARV is anywhere from the 350 range to, we have Baskerville with you that we're going to be listing the 600 range. So that's kind of, that's going to be our highest one so far would be Baskerville. I don't think about 615, 625. So we have one in Laurel at 550. Yeah, we listed at 550, ended up, we're under contract now, 585. So that's uh, the biggest one so far. What that was, was the acquisition price on that? Oh, really cheap. It was two two fifty five nine hundred or something. It was a much bigger rehab or not much bigger rehab, but the rehab was higher just because it was a much bigger house. Um, so over close to 3,000 square foot. So rehab was People underestimate just simply your material cost when you start in the oh, bigger so houses. Yeah. So well, that we, and we, we had still like, do. <laughs> yeah. A huge yeah. lot full of bamboo. So yeah, that was very uh, expensive to get removed. Oh, that's terrible. Well, at least the bigger ones, you're keeping your crew busy. Maybe just like sprinkle in the bigger ones. <laughs> Every, you know, some addition or something. Yeah, if you guys want to bring us some bigger deals, bring, <laughs> bring them our way and we'll sprinkle them in. Working on it. <laughs> We're actually seeing like time on market for like those higher end ARVs is like, is actually not bad. So we had to like fill that out, like with the interest rate shift and everything just to kind of yeah. see how that is. And surprisingly, it's kind of, I think you're getting more of a, I want to say like more of a quality buyer. I don't know. Somebody that just could, like you said, they're moving out of the city. So they're having their city price point they had that can buy a lot more yeah. in right. Orange County, Laurel, wherever. So I sort of like the mid-tier homes because you have the buyers that are not, um, they have better expectations than the first-time home buyers are yeah. in the cheap 
Um, so you, I'm sure you guys get it where you're selling probably a flip that's 350 or 400, and the first time home buyer is like wants 800 repairs done, <laughs> yep. and they don't understand. Like this is just this is this like every other house, including the one you live in that you had no problem with. Yeah, um, we also see like a quality and like real estate agent too, like somebody that sets the proper expectation with their client to understand like how the buy in the buyer inspection and everything works. Like you kind of get like the lower end homes, I guess, are like higher on like their cousin that maybe has two or three transactions. So the whole process is just scary for both of them. Um, so like somewhere like the 550 range in Laurel, like it's a proper expectation of what a home inspection looks like. And it's, it's not freaking people out. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Great point. Cause we, we have a listing we just put under contract. And, um, one of the considerations that we took when we were deciding who to sell it to is, um, one agent is well-known and prepares their buyers for the home inspections and closes without issue. Right. And so for, for us, and it's funny because that person's not who got the deal, but it was a big consideration because we're like, getting to closing is can be either easy or a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and they so, were VA, like a VA, I'd rather take a VA loan, but with an agent who I know isn't going to harass us on the inspection. Yeah. Then, I mean, not more than cash, but, you know. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, specialists definitely can get inclined. West pulls his hair out over those. They get a pain in the ass, that's for sure. They like write, like every line item just sounds like the world's ending. Yeah. Like and under, well, undermine and, pavers. Like, <laughs> well, like, inspectors, really? like a house could be perfect. The inspector feels like they have to put something Yeah, they got to articulate the yeah. value somehow. So we're just going to, we're we going to put this. New construction too. I mean, it's a brand new house and they're coming in there and, you know, it's, it's, it's a wild thing. Yeah. I stopped flipping a lot in uh, right around 2013. And one of the things that just drove me mad was the, um, the inspections and all the items <laughs> and, you know, people, they want $1,000 because there's a little piece of quarter round missing. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and then what's, it's what's wild is it's such a broad list that people want. Like the pen is so broad that you kind of need a crew that is handy in like majority of construction. So like having them go there for a small list, but they now have the skill set to do something that's more lucrative. So getting them there to actually do that list, it's like that's the biggest construction nightmare we have right now. Which well, is the thing, thing is, unless you have your own crew, right? If you if you're not using your own crew, it's impossible to get someone a handyman out there to do fifteen different small things. Yes, yeah. you're gonna end up paying a lot. Yeah, yeah. If you can even find the labor, yeah, yeah. right? Because there's just well, that's more likely to hire someone who's not just a handyman, yeah. and then you're gonna end up there, yeah. There goes all that flip profit. Right, right. I always say to buyers, like, listen, this is gonna freak you out. This list you get, it's gonna look bad. <laughs> But if all of these things weren't the way they are, the house would be priced $70,000 more mm-hmm. than what you're paying for it. Or when they want to get a water heater replaced just because it's old, not because it's broken. It's like, yeah. no, well, the house would be $100,000 more if it had a new HVAC, a new water heater. But I think a lot of agents don't want to upset their client. I mean, I didn't. I'm first. What's scary is I like the it. drastic difference you see in in inspection lists. So like we had one where the inspection <laughs> list was scary and the people like backed out of it. It's just inevitable. And then the new buyer comes in and their home inspector's like, a third of what the other person was. They're like, how can this yeah. completely be on opposite ends of the spectrum? It was wild. And people forget, like, it's not new construction. Mm-hmm. It's it's a 50-year-old home that we've renovated, right? So, like, well, you know, the amount of things, like, they, they pick, some inspectors will try to pick out, um, like, no, that's not a flaw. That's just how the property was built <laughs> in 1950. Yeah. Baltimore uh, City was built in, like, the 1800s. Right, yeah. right. yeah. And they think you're like, they see like a clean renovation and they think you touched everything in the house. You're like, we did the bathrooms, flooring, and painted this place. Like you're talking about something. We didn't reframe the house to today's (laughs) building code standards. Um, You know, sometimes some of the things that come up, right, especially like Baltimore City, oh, there's no plug in that wall. Well, yeah, because the house is built 100 years before electricity. (laughs) Um, So everything's retrofitted. yeah, it's good. One thing we have noticed, because we've done a couple like what is called like wholesale deals. So that's just something you take down and do very, very minimal stuff and relist it. Our inspection lists on that are like next to nothing. But then you put it right next to our flip. That's probably a better product. I'm willing to bet on it. And here comes a 10 page inspection list. So and I don't know why, but I don't know if inspectors are looking for it. I'm, I'm assuming so, because some of you are cutting corners. But out of the probably like 10 properties that we've listed as wholesale deals, inspection lists are minimum. Yeah, I'd much rather do a wholesale deal and um, 
<laughs> because yeah. the, the expectation is it's not a perfect property, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Um, and so the expectations are more realistic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, inspectors, I mean, there's good ones out there. There's bad ones. And I mean, sometimes, right, sometimes the problems are legitimate, but they're, it's just part of owning owning real estate. Yeah. Um, but And that's what people don't realize. So, so I, I definitely agree with the lower end homes being more of a problem just because the buyers are more pains and the, you've got a lower caliber agent too that can't push the deal forward without all this drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing it. Yeah, we, yeah. we deal with So on a wholesale deal, what would you say your typical assignment fee has been? So I did, I just did this because I figured it was going to be a good question that came yeah. up. So I did the average. I think the average, it was high. It was like 27 grand a property and for Q1. So I did the mean because I figured, I mean, the, uh, the meetings, I figured maybe that gives us a little bit better. Cause I mean, we had a couple like ones that ripped, like they were really nice. Uh, that came out to like 22 grand. So it was still up there. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. Especially like you said, if you're talking about a flip where you're going to make 30, 35, 40, and you're like, well, I can do nothing to it and make mm-hmm. 25 grand, um, not have to tie up your capital. Um, not have to create the risk of, because we've all had properties, right? We open the wall and God, uh, some nightmare open, happens. <laughs> don't open the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in D.C., Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore by the harbor, Fells Point. Don't even want to know. Yeah. Don't even want to know. But yeah, what? so what does your funding look like on these? You guys just consistently using the same hard money? Do you cash? Yes. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of honing on like who we go to because um, we want to build with everybody that we work with. Uh, we do. I mean, he he raises a lot of capital, um, but we also utilize the hard money aspect. So that's also Daniel. So Adam. Yeah. So typically um, we're mixing private money and hard money. Uh, we call it like gap funding. So you get your hard money for whatever it is, maybe it's 75 percent. And then we're gap funding the rest with private investors. Um, here lately, we're trying to work with hard money lenders since we've built the reputation in the industry uh, that are giving us 100 percent financing. Um, and then kind of with that, we're buying other houses cash with the private investor money that we have, uh, because then that obviously saves us on points and draw fees and appraisals and all that kind of stuff. So we're kind of mixing it in it really just depends on what our capital stack kind of looks like at the point in time when we're closing. Um, but yeah, up front initially, it was a lot of hard money lenders with private investors who are gap funding. Who's been your go-to hard money lenders? Oh, uh, we got a couple. We got Ryan Studner with Fund That Flip, um, Til- T- Tilber, Tibor with uh, RPIP, Real Property Investment Partners, I think it is. Um, Kane with uh, Kane Investments. Yeah. Uh, Matt Derby, he just opened up his shop. So He's a good one as well. And then uh, Brian Valdivia does all our rental short-term, that kind of stuff. Okay, very cool. And where do you find your private investors? Yeah, I mean, just networking. Um, A lot of them are close relationships at this point. Uh, Family, friends of family, people we meet that want to get into real estate, but they don't really realize what they're getting into. So, like, it really truly is passive being a lender with us. Um, once they give us the money, we're like, we have a promissory note, they're secured on the deed. Uh, and uh, that's kind of, it. it's hands off. If they want updates, we'll more than happy to provide it to them. But honestly, none of them do. They like, and, uh, they like what, to see the Facebook pictures and that's it. Yeah. What kind of return are you paying out your investors? Uh, 10%. Nice. That APR. Yeah. Standard. Yeah. It no, seems to be what's pretty standard these is, days. Is it a time period or are you doing it project based? Um, it depends on investor by investor. Um, it's a little unique because I've had some people who like literally who like here's 400 grand. Um, can you just do whatever you want to do with it? That's why it's kind of like I have to kind of plan out how <laughs> we're. Like, sign up. I have to make sure. Yeah, I got to make sure we're doing the right things, the right. Because if it's just 400 grand sitting in our account at 10% a year, is, you need to deploy that. Get exactly. It so I need to make sure it's deployed properly. Um, but yeah, it's investor by investor. As of recent, we've had a lot who are just like, hey. Like, I'm like, all right, give me a 60 day notice when you want this money back, if you want it back and like, we'll make it happen. I'll get it swapped out. Um, but yeah, they're honestly just kind of letting it sit with us and we're just deploying it as we see fit. Have you found any difference? So I've, I've experienced this. Are the people with the more money that they want to give you easier to work with than the people that hundred percent, I want like people ask, Oh, what's your minimum? Uh, it used to be like 25. Um, then it jumped up to 50 and now I'm like, it's just kind of case by case. I can tell from the initial conversation, like if you're going to be a pain in my ass and 
like no offense but I'm, i don't want to deal i don't want you texting me i don't want to take your money even if it's at four yeah, percent yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just a headache and another hassle that pulling me away from other stuff that's making money so showing like how successful we are as operators too as got us better terms with hard money lenders so we don't need a gap as much as we did before yeah. which actually helps so we can be kind of picky in all aspects of like what we want to take down and who we want to work with while taking it down so yeah like you said one of the projects did you say you were at 100 percent ltv on it with the yeah we've done quite a few yeah. now 100 percent um it took a lot of like teeth pulling to get there and yeah. not gonna want to we've say got like there. 50 <laughs> flips under the bell and they still they still don't really want to do it um, but we kind of put their feet to the fire and we're like, Hey, like, you know what we do. This is a good deal. Like we're going to close, like everything's going to go as it, it always goes as planned, like knock on wood. Um, we have not really had any bad apples. Um, so yeah, it's putting a little bit of feet to the fire, but it definitely took a while to get there where we get that hundred percent because they're glad, very reluctant. I'm glad you're bringing this up though, because I feel like people who have never done it before talk about doing it. I'm going to flip a house. I'm going to flip a house. I'm going to flip a house. They're looking for products that are like hundred percent LTV. They don't yeah. want to use any of their own money. Lenders don't trust you. No. With that stuff, these guys have been doing this for a while. They've done a million of them, and lenders still won't give them 100% LTV. So it's a public service announcement. You need to spend some <laughs> of your own money. To be trustworthy, it makes sense. People don't understand flipping is a capital-intensive, yeah. you know. Very. Same thing with Burr, right? Everyone, Everyone's excited about Burrs these days, but they don't understand. It's good when you can cash that money out, but you need a lot of money to buy the property it's to renovate flip. it. It's yeah. the same thing. They're all, yeah. They all start as flips. And honestly, mm. riskier a lot like in this market than flips because your timeline is so much longer that mm -hmm. so much can change. Even with this Baskerville property, we were looking at ARV, we were like maybe 575 something months ago and now we're in the sixes. Can easily go and back in the opposite direction, mm -hmm. not so much in this area, but. And you know, with people that have projects that were coming for sale last year in October, November, December, and the market slowed down, which it normally does every winter, but the last two, three years hadn't, right? So. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had a flip and you came on the market November 1st, it was worth 20 grand less probably than it was six months before that. But now if you're coming to market now, we're 20, 30 grand more than we were in the in the winter. Um, so that risk is right when you when you have a full-time flipping business going on, that risk easily gets spread out. But if you only have one property, then all your risk is tied up in that single property. Uh -huh. Yep, yep, definitely. Have you guys seen anything with all your properties going on? Are certain parts of the market hotter than others? Is there any locations cold? Um, I would say no, honestly. Um, we just we had two rentals we just listed, like I said, over this weekend. Um, we have one in what's called Pioneer City. If you're not from Anne Arundel County or even like the Odin I have no area, idea where that is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but like you hear Anne Arundel County and you hear a row or a townhouse that's 190 grand, you're like, wow, like that's pretty good in Anne Arundel County. And it's just an awful area. Um, like it's very hard to buy into condo association, like more than 50% of the people are delinquent. So it's hard to get financing, no FHA. And obviously at that price point, you are looking for an FHA buyer. Um, and we still got an offer over the weekend, full price, 10% down, like conventional. Um, and then we got the other side of the spectrum, which we have one in Crofton. I don't know if you're familiar with that nice area. Um, townhouse, we listed it for 340. This is one we bought. We, uh, we're going to flip it. We had a tenant in there and they didn't want to leave and they had a really long-term lease. Uh, so we ended up converting into a rental for a little bit. Um, listed at 340 and thought like that was probably a little high. Um, maybe we'll get like 330, get a contract at 360. Nice. And I mean, this house is like old, really old. So honestly, I mean, that's two complete opposite ends of the spectrum, both in, going in, in three four days. days yeah. yeah, four days. I mean, that's a nice swing to be expecting 330 and get 360. Uh, <laughs> Not 30, bad. 30 grand actually. We'll profit. see if it appraises. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's always going to be that. That's one thing we learned. Don't celebrate until that check hits. Yeah, the when the money's in the bank, yeah, that's when you celebrate. Yeah, that's true. It's easy. Fastest way to therapy sessions is celebrating stuff in real estate <laughs> yeah. before it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So do you guys have a uh, standard process for how you handle your low appraisals when they come in? Oh, my God. We've only had one, Just unfortunately, <laughs> as of recent. Um, and that agent, I think he did a great job with trying to combat it. it we got it up a few grand. Um, it was one of the ones where if you do like the FHA rule, we're like within 90 days or whatever. Yeah. So we were past the 90 days, but I guess it's within the six months they need two appraisals or something like that. So first appraisal came in fine. Second appraisal comes in low. Um, of course, they, you know, they're going yeah. to go with so the lower one. You have to go with the lower one, um, fought it a little bit, got it up. 
lender fell out with the buyer. So buyer had to go to another lender. So they had to get in one more appraisal. That one came in low again. Um, and they got it up to where the the second version that came in that was low. So ended up being the same, but I think it was like 10,000 less than what we had it. Yeah. I mean, when you're dealing with FHA, that's definitely the big problem is the, right, is the, is the appraisal because it's going to stick with the property mm -hmm. when it's conventional. One of the tricks we use is just getting the buyer to switch lenders altogether. Yeah. Um, because very rarely will the appraisal come in lower, at least substantially low, two 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 times in a row. So mm -hmm. um, we like to switch a, switch lenders quite a bit when that happens. Smart. And yeah. Avoid the big lenders. Yeah. The Bank of America, lenders. your Quickens, they're um, they're always going to have because they're bringing in these appraisers. Like they're offering the appraiser three hundred dollars from the job, so they're coming down from Lancaster in York, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. To to Washington D.C. Like, what could they possibly? And if they see like these properties that are going two hundred thousand over list, someone from York, Pennsylvania can't comprehend that. And so, <laughs> you know, they'll appraise it low. So, yeah. avoiding the big banks is a big, big, you know, smart thing to do. Well, and it's easier to fight it when you can actually get the person on the phone. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's the only downfall I think to flipping or just stuff like that in general. Is just, there's so many hands in the cookie jar that start taking cookies out so whether you got an agent a lender an inspector an appraisal you're like there's a lot of unknowns that right. you had to secure while underwriting yeah and there's only so much of the process you can control right you can only control your side mm -hmm. you know who knows what those professionals on the other side are are like right. um and so yeah there's a lot of unknowns and that can be a real pain in the ass yeah, like we had one. He was supposed to be a third-party inspector. He shows up to closing and is literally like, I think it was either the cousin or the brother of the buyer. And like, this was an awful inspection list. Like, the stuff they were citing was just absolutely absurd. And come to find out, now we know why. So just things like that are really yeah. That was an interesting sign. Well, well, you're the lender and <laughs> yeah, the, the lender was actually there too. The lender was a family member as well. Lender had issues. Like, it was just a problem Where transaction, but. Uh, it was in Baltimore County. I can't remember which one. No, it was, was this it? one, Baltimore City. Was it the city? Yeah. Um, damn, I can't remember the street name. It was one what, of those. Is uh, it East Middle or no? Yeah, it was East Middle. It was one of those, like, uh, I forget those programs, like work close to home or program or whatever. Yeah, they got some oh, grant. Yeah, it was a nightmare. All of it. All for homeownership, but <laughs> I hate that stuff. So you guys get some rentals as well? Yeah, yeah we got a handful. Uh, like I said, the Crofton one, Pioneer one. Or Anne Arundel County one. Bel Air Edison. Um, yeah, we got one in Bel Air Edison. We have one in uh, Gwyn Oak, Baltimore County. And uh, that's the extent of our rentals right now. And are those just stuff. ones that came in through your norm, normal sort of lead gen systems and you just decided to keep them for some reason? Yeah, we at one point we like were obsessed with growing a crazy portfolio. And then we kind of were like, let's scale a business to where it's like self-sustaining and then we can work on a portfolio. Um, so now... Now we transition to selling them to now buy short-term rentals in Ocean City. So we're kind of bipolar when it comes to real estate. Uh -huh. Next week, let us know. We'll tell you we're doing something completely different. Yeah, so tell us about the ones in Ocean City you guys are working on. Yeah, so one came from the uh, the acquisitions team, you know, the fire team we got over there at the West. Uh, a lot of follow-up, a lot, a lot of follow-up with the lady. And then one was actually on the market where I think we just built, West built really good rapport with her. And uh, we were able, they listed at 275 and we're going to end up buying it at 300, but uh, they had multiple offers over that uh, 300. So yeah, going to, going to do the burr on that one. Um, the other one's a little bit higher price points, 360. It's probably worth about 450. Um, so we haven't really decided on what we're going to do financing wise, because it doesn't really need work. So I don't think your typical burr is going to work. Um, we might try and do some creative things. Probably shouldn't say it on here because I don't know how it works with lenders, but, uh, we're going to try and we're going to assign it to ourselves, either to ourselves or to, uh, his wife and my fiance. We're going to have them open an entity and take that assignment fee and basically use it as a 20% Jesus down. Christ, no, IRS will be our office next week. <laughs> uh, we can cut that all up. We need <laughs> so, to. I think, yeah, I think it's all right, but we're either going to. We have we know we know a lender that'll that's okay with the assignment fee. Um, the issue is they just only want a ten percent assignment fee, and this one's about twenty percent. So just working around that, and that's how we'll fund that one. Yeah, so that's actually kind of interesting because um, Danny May just changed the guideline recently on aging commissions getting applied to down payments. Mm -hmm. And I asked the lender, "Is there any limits?" And they said, "No." I was like, "Well, if I negotiate right." negotiate the price up, get a 20% commission, I can use that as the down payment. And they said, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. So um, 
Uh, and I've like in the commercial space, that's always been possible. Uh, I shouldn't say possible; depends on the commercial lender, right? But there's more flexibility in that commercial space. But yeah. to do that on a residential property with a Fannie Mae loan, I think is really interesting. That is interesting. But that's essentially what you're talking about, right? It's yeah. just, you know, moving it around, like pay yourself the assignment fee, now the price is higher, and now we're going to lend based on that higher number. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I think we're trying to, or I think I think the, our mindset for like holds and stuff are going to be like, you know, higher, like class more, something that somebody is going to, we could sell tomorrow if we wanted to. Um, I think a lot of people don't account for like the amount of tenant turnovers or how costly the tenant turnovers are going to be when you have a portfolio of 200 and, you know, 10, 15% of that's vacant. Now you got $20,000 each property out the door. That's going to hurt. Yeah, I've owned, I've owned properties in every class and I say without doubt, my A and B class properties make me way, way more money than the C and D class stuff did, and I don't touch the C and D class stuff anymore because yeah. turnover, like turnover yeah. crushes. Turnover, just the in on the turnover, right? So, like, I'll take a, one of my Silver Spring rentals. I'm turning over between maid service and paint touch up five hundred, six hundred dollars. When I had stuff done in Suitland and Temple Hills, like thousands of dollars in repairs. Um, on much cheaper properties too, mm-hmm. right? So just the higher class properties, the tenants are going to take care of them. They're not going to beat them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's They're going to pay their rent, which... Yeah. Nice. <laughs> we yeah. are see like, like the A and B stuff you're talking about, like when our acquisition, like if we get a list or market to that area and our acquisitions get on the phone with them, we're seeing like, it's almost the same exact strategy as if you're calling on like a Baltimore City product, but like someone from Baltimore City is talking to 12, 13 different wholesalers. So your competition rate is crazy with those. But then the A and B, like people in Ocean City don't know what wholesaling is. Right. So like w- we actually have, I think there's more leverage there and it's the same exact process that we're going through each time. Interesting. You know, I wonder if Frederick County would work that way because there's not as much wholesaling going on up there. So I wonder if they're more primed for um, better direct owner. Yeah, we were in a mastermind group where it was like nationwide. So we got to meet people from all different, you know, areas. And DMV is insanely competitive compared to like a lot. Like listening to some of these guys' stories, like, I had to drop her four grand. You're like, that must be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one thing that kind of bothers me with a lot of the wholesalers here is I'll get a deal from sent to me, whether usually someone texting me, right, and be like, are you, are you the one direct to the owner? And they're like, yeah. But then like, I'll like in the next 24 hours, I'll have like seven or eight other people sending me the same deal. Everyone's direct to owner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put on their Facebook story, like reshared from someone else's Facebook yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. yeah or, um, we have some of those that people daisy chain off. Yeah, they try. Like, we try to avoid it to that us. I'm like, you, you literally just copied <laughs> from my email and sent it back to my email. We had, I had one where the wholesaler should... They were a good friend of mine, and they sent me this property. It was an apartment building in Baltimore, and they're like, all tenants are up to date. I'm like, that property's owned by my friend X, and not a single tenant's up to date. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting into some some commercial stuff, too. Like, I think we actually might take it down. It's in uh, Dundalk. Yeah, that's our ultimate. The higher-end assets that cash flow still and use that eventually in the future as leverage on getting bigger and better properties. I mean, like the the city properties just weren't working for us and what we want to do and how we see the future for us. Um, they could be a good stepping stone, but just kind of where we're going. And also like back to the rentals, right? Like it's hard for us to cherry pick ones because we're like, we get a good deal in the county. Like it's going to be a $30,000 assignment fee. And at the end of the day, we have payroll. We got to meet, we got marketing every month and all this other stuff. So for us, it's a so, yeah, I mean, if you get 17 people you're employing on the construction side, and do you have other employees in addition to that? Yeah, we got two acquisitions guys, uh, a TC, um, and then a, a, a bunch of, of VAs. VAs. Yeah. yeah, so you get over 20 employees you're uh, trying to keep fed, so you get a whole operation going. Yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, wholesaling, it's, it's a sales and marketing business, and we're both, that's our caveat, so we can grow a sales and marketing business, but then also sustain the, the flip stuff as it comes along, but- Which is not, like a construction business, so it's a whole nother yeah. nightmare. So that's the thing about like somebody that wants to like just be a flipper, like you gotta realize that there's so many moving parts in that, you're probably, you're, you're running five different businesses. And once you scale, it's all about deal flow. We need consistent deals coming in month in, month out to, to meet payroll. Right. Um, 
And that's why all of our stuff looks the same. Like it's the same product every single time. We know to the penny of what our material, well, we should know to the penny of what our material cost is going to be. But we, I like, I don't care about an accent wall. You know, if it's not, I don't think it's going to make or break a deal. So staying out of the houses allows us to focus on getting the next house. Yeah. And I, th- I honestly do think a lot of like flippers, especially when office ones over, overthink it, right? 100%. Accent walls, nice. Oh, um, I can't do it. But, <laughs> it. When you're picking different finishes for every flip, like no, every, they should all be the same. Yeah. That was us. Because in all honestly, the consumer, I haven't been in one of your flips, but I imagine white cabinets, white with probably a little bit of gray, either granite or quartz countertops. Well, we were told we can't do a granite. Yeah, we heard right. that's uh, out uh, from a from a great realtor. Uh, so we're we're changing that up a little bit. Why the naturals? <laughs> yeah. You pay attention to the the style briefs. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a realtors, remember? Realtors. Oh, sorry, sorry. Realtors. <laughs> yeah. So someone told us. But that you that's just change out. right as the market changes, then you change what you're putting in them, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't systematize when you've got four different flips and one's got gray cabinets, one's got white, one's exactly. got cherry. Um, well, that's James Stainard's whole thing, right? He has this, like, this fit of the Jaden flips guy. Mm-hmm. He has, just has a book that all of his contractors have. He's like, this mm-hmm. is the this is the vanity. This mm-hmm. is where you can buy it. This is yeah. how much I want to see on the invoice for it. And, like, mm-hmm. Vendors it. are a big thing, too, with us. Like, in order to be successful, like per volume, like you have to have those relationships. So like we, like our cabinet company, they know exactly how we work. They know what to do. Um, flooring, vice, everything, everything, every aspect into construction is there's a system in place for it all the way down to the manager. Like we don't even have a construction manager, but we have things in place in order to always have eyes on the property without them even knowing that we're managing the property. So like, um, our landscape guy does our demo, but we start our electrician right behind him. So now our electrician is pushing him along because he wants to pull wire through the house. So then the electrician's sending us the pictures of the demo. So now I'm managing the demo guy without him knowing I'm managing them. Interesting. So, yeah. So we have all those, just uh, every construction aspect is being managed by someone without them knowing they're managing it. If I should make your own little course. Yeah, oh, it's did. on the way. Hit us yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, they're going to beat us to have We make so much fun of these guru programs, but you guys seem like you found good ones that work. We had our first, uh, yeah. we had our first student. I don't even know what to call them. We're so new at it, but it was, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, we, we see a lot of gurus too, and we, we also make fun of them. Um, and we'll, we'll probably get made fun of as the, the gurus. But I mean, if, if you all want to see HUDs at the end of the day, you can slide in the DMs. We'll send you some HUDs. Uh, we, we just want to help people. We think we've kind of, we've discovered some stuff in a, a very quick time that, uh, can be very beneficial and feel like you why, why not share it it's there i mean if you're going to sign up with someone else who is not really doing what they're saying don't why not sign up with us and we'll actually show you what we are doing so yeah. it's kind of our mindset on it well things vary so much between markets so that's why these are big national gurus like how can you learn anything that's specific it's tough it's hard very to tough in, in this market and then you see them end up getting indicted by the irs yeah. <laughs> i mean even just in our area right the difference between like a baltimore county uh, property and like something in Shaw and DC, right? We're talking about properties that could be four times as much that are 30 minutes away from each other. That rehab budgets could be 40 grand there and 250,000 yep. over here. Um, when Brenton was saying that at the meetup, he's like, If you take me to DC, I'm getting my ass kicked in DC. I have no <laughs> yeah. idea what I'm doing. Yep. Yeah. People in DC don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> I see a lot of gurus too that have no idea any aspect of construction. And at the end of the day, I mean, seventy percent of this is construction. So you don't need to know like every aspect of it, but there's certain like things that you can do in order to make sure that it's running properly and and not having to be there to micromanage the guys or you know or getting taken advantage of. I mean, one of the one of the best things I ever learned when I was flipping properties was the proper order in which to do the rehab, right? Mm-hmm. Who goes in at what point, right? So like, like I paint my walls before my flooring goes in, um, paint the walls before the cabinets go in. Um, that this was my process, right? Cause then, cause then the painter could come in and just spray the whole room, not have to worry about taping cabinets and coming around on mm-hmm. right so i got the work done substantially faster by doing that but just the, the process of construction it's so simple but like it can save you a lot of money i yeah. like to do the do final inspection and then add the second kitchen in the basement yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's my stuff baltimore city stuff yeah we do we do like the systems 
like that we have in place. Um, just, I mean, I did 10 years in construction. So just kind of learning like little caveat things that help. So like one of our, the scope of work that we capture with our general contractor is line item by line item, um, broken down per price. So that allows him to move quicker because he gets paid every Friday based on what he checked off on that line item. But then that is now our draw inspection for our lenders. So we're killing two birds with one stone there. And then um, he's also signing that and then attached to that's going to be your schedule too. So we have like a flow chart schedule. So I know that demos three days, this is that, and then it's going to spit out at the end. 60 days of construction. Well, now that same house type, you can reiterate back to that last house you did and know, okay, 60 days in construction, here's my budget. And then you can kind of learn from there instead of having to do the same thing every single house on scopes of work. And then that's where the process becomes repeatable, replicatable. Um, and that's where you can create the systems and have it have that constant flow of the project. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're taking yourself out of the process and you're saving 70, 80K on a construction manager, which trims fat, as you were saying earlier. So that's, yeah. I think. And once these guys, so what was, it was hard at first because like this guy doesn't know this guy, but now it's like they're calling like Rocha is our electrician and uh, Angel is the guy demoing, doing concrete and landscape for us. Well, now Angel's calling um, him directly uh, or lean, yeah, like I'm yeah. starting demo on this house in three days, be here in five. Yeah. So now it's just kind of, it's just, they want to see each other. They, they, that's the one thing about the, a lot of, a lot of our work, um, labor is Hispanic. Um, but like that culture is, is amazing. So like they want their people to like grow and win and the families to eat and have a great time. So they always support each other. And that's just one thing that like we can't do as leaders, but like, it's just their cultural habit to, to want to help each other. Very cool. So tell the listeners where they can learn more about you guys if they want. Yeah. So uh, go ahead, Daniel, because I got to look up my social media stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> my Instagram is uh, the Daniel Hood. Um, you can probably best there. Uh, Facebook is just Daniel Hood. Um, you can reach out our, our program or whatever you want to call it that we're, that we're putting together is going to be called HK Hustlers. Um, so you can look out on that in the near future. Um, hopefully in the next like month or so, we'll be putting it together. We'll have kind of like a lower level uh program which kind of gets you your entry-level person who might still have a job and just kind of wants to get the idea of what's going on um and then we'll have a higher level more one-on-one type of coaching which is what we did recently um for someone who's actually trying to do it full-time and is like ready to scale and has money to go ready to go so cool yeah my instagram's house underscore flipper underscore west um name's also wesley nightstep so you can look that up uh yeah I didn't even know my own instagram name awesome you guys dropped awesome knowledge today i think uh, a lot of our listeners are uh, it's going to get a lot of them excited i think appreciate you guys having us yeah thanks for having us all right we'll see you guys next week all right thanks for listening to the dc real estate podcast we hope you enjoyed the show if you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts.